The great air battle, which has been in progress over this island for the last few weeks, has recently attained a high intensity. The gratitude of every home in our island, in our empire, and indeed throughout the world, except in the abodes of the guilty, goes out to the British airmen who, undaunted by odds, unwearied in their constant challenge and mortal danger, are turning the tide of the world war by their prowess and by their devotion. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. This is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear Series 2. And if you're listening to us for the first time, a very warm welcome. Or if you've been with us all the way through the first series and are joining us again, you may need to seek some help. But thank you, it's great to have you back. Now we're kicking off with the one and only subject that we could feature as this podcast drops on the 15th of September 2020, the 80th anniversary of Battle of Britain Day. Our special guest is an aviation historian who's written more about the Battle of Britain than any other person. I've counted at least 30 books with more to follow. It's Dilip Sarka, MBE. But we're also going to hear from some of the few themselves and a Luftwaffe pilot, sadly of course all now departed, but each of whom shared their own extraordinary tales from the Battle of Britain in interviews I did with them 20 years ago. So, Battle of Britain to come. But let's just remind you who we all are. I'm Rob Curling, television presenter, formerly a dustman. Uh, we've got scouting for... <laughs> true, first job after school. Uh, we've got scouting for girls frontman and pop superstar Roy Stride, formerly an Iceland supermarket employee. That's also true. true. true yeah. uh, James Cartner, airline pilot, formerly with the RAF. Mm -hmm. uh, when you think of RAF, you probably think of glamorous fast jet pilots. Well, don't. Um, <laughs> and if there's a real star of the show, it's most certainly not our fourth <laughs> member, Jez Curling, agricultural fencer and formerly my younger brother. Uh, and actually still is uh, gents lovely to be with you all again what's lovely everyone... to be back well, yeah. good isn't it just isn't it just lovely. yeah it what's is, everyone been up to holidays I, I, yeah a few holidays I uh, actually have a gig with Scouting Ooh, for Girls really? this weekend yeah. so uh, and I have made the use of the rest of the time off to eBay a load of stuff, which means I have money now for my uh, flying lessons, <laughs> <laughs> which are going to start up again. So, so that's been my summer. Sounds fun, Jimbo. Uh, yeah, quick holiday with the family to France, mm. um, which was very pleasant. No quarantine. Um, no quarantine. We got back well before the quarantine came in. Uh, <clears throat> I went to Cosford uh, RAF Museum at Cosford, which was fascinating um, for a number of reasons. They had the, well, I didn't really, they have a TSR2 there, which is oh. just amazing. Yeah. And that thing must have been fantastic when mm. it flew. And I thought they'd all been scrapped. I didn't realise there was still any left in, in full form. I think form. there's one at Yeovilton as well, actually. I've not seen one before, but yeah. I'm mm, not sure about that. Yeah, I think you're lying there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was an RAF thing. I and they have the Vulcan there. Um, sure. And Victor's, the whole V Force there. It's just a fantastic uh, place to go, so I'd thoroughly recommend that. Oh, the only problem was the, yeah. um, <laughs> the Wessex, the hangar that the Wessex was in was, was closed, and it's one of the Wessex I've actually flown. No! So, yeah. oh, a museum so, piece. Yeah, it yeah. is. Just, I, like I, I, it's just like me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was a shame, but uh, it was a really good day out. But the, the highlight, or the low light for me, was when we were looking around at an exhibition part of it, which was about the Gulf War. And there was this lady there um, who probably had about a seven or eight-year-old daughter and she was talking about the Gulf War and she went, oh yes, I remember that, we studied it at school. <laughs> 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 and I joined the RAF just as it was just kicking off. So <laughs> you? It kind of aged me a little bit, so that was my, um, yeah, slightly reality back to what, you're not quite as young as you think you are. Oh, um, But no, that was good. And I've had a couple of flights, uh, came back from India the other day, so... Still, still working. Yeah. Good well man. done, Jim. Good on well you. Well done, Jim. 
Jezza, fencing, never yes, stops. You never, never stop. stop. Never stop fencing. It goes on and on, which is good because that pays the bills. But I have been on holiday, uh, courtesy of you. Thank you very much. Uh, to Cornwall, no quarantine, average weather, great pasties. What else do you need to know? <laughs> and quite a lot of aircraft action, actually, uh, which if anyone's been following us uh, on the socials over the summer, would have seen um, a bit of uh, Air Sea Rescue, mm. uh, the uh, Hercules, I think it was, or could have been a Dakota James, I'm not sure, <laughs> flying overhead. Air Sea Rescue Hercules? No, no you strung two things together Air Sea Rescue Sikorsky. Yes, S92A. Uh, the Chinook. Flying yep. over the beach. Mm -hmm. Love the Chinook. Did they Love tell you how much they could lift at all? Any stage? <laughs> they, they just flew on by. All right. Yeah. Uh, but there was a banner out the back saying exactly <laughs> what they could do. And uh, there was a, there was a uh, Hercules, I think, banking heavily over uh, uh, Polesworth Beach. So and if you were following our Instagram, you could have seen all. You could have seen highlights of James's visit to Cosford, yeah. and uh, and the Chinook, and the yeah. and the rescue, and yeah, what yeah. Jez was. Uh, yeah. Uh, Eating for breakfast. As well. yeah. <laughs> it was all on Instagram. Oh, Instagram. I, must, I must get onto Instagram. You really must, yeah. must try well, harder. I, I'm trying to get people onto Instagram because that's what I'm in charge of, and you're no. in charge of Twitter, Ron. Yes. And yeah. it's got Twi like three times as many yeah. people following. Twitter's got a bit better. Uh, James, you're in charge of Facebook. You've done nothing. Sometimes done I'm in charge nothing of I've done. Facebook. I did something the other day. I looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> you got cross on me when I put something on Facebook. Well, only so. because. You put something that I should have put on. Well, <laughs> just made you feel guilty. <laughs> just follow us. Anyway. Just, follow us. just please yeah. follow us. Please, please. <laughs> well, look, let's just remind people of what Top Landing Gear is. Each episode will have a main aviation topic and a featured special guest whose interview will run uninterrupted in our full flaps podcast a week later. Now, our resident historian, Fencer Jez, will present a rundown of quick facts about our featured subject. How quick and how accurate, we're never... Quite sure. Mm. Um, and finally, the highlight, of course, uh, the moment the lads cannot wait for, is the top landing gear quiz. Are we still doing that? I thought we were Of course we are. <laughs> it's compiled, it's hosted, refereed by yours truly. That will never die. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is, the listeners really love that bit. It's at the end, they can turn yeah, it off. They can yeah. turn it off. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. No, neither do we. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start, though, with our other regular feature that really failed to capture the imagination <laughs> of our loyal yet unquizzical listeners. Ask James, your chance and ours, to ask our pilot and expert James Gartner anything at all about aviation matters. Uh, in series one, both questions came from the same person, his son. <laughs> 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 so we're rather hoping that um, we might get some input from you, our dear listener. So, so do send some no, in. In is, fact, it's all gone, gone mad. It's, it's gone, gone mad. mad. It's well, gone crazy. But I know, Roy, you're desperate to ask James some questions of your own, aren't well, you? Well, yeah, well, when I was coming back from Ibiza the other day... <laughs> nice, man. I, I actually sat there, because we didn't have that many questions, I wrote out loads and loads <laughs> of questions. And some of the things which would be really... I've always wanted to ask. First of all, I had a whole list of them, but... What would happen if you don't put... It was quite funny because I just heard somebody's phone mm -hmm. there, which I'm going to leave in. I won't edit out. What would happen if you don't put your phone into flight safe mode? Right. Well, the, the thing is, technically, it get, all phones give off an RF signal, yeah. which can, particularly on some fly-by-wire aircraft, yep. possibly... Fly-by-wire. Fly-by-wire. So it's rather than have a cable connecting the... Um, control column to the control surface on the wing or on the tailplane. You've actually got an electrical signal, which yeah. so that's everything. Now. So it's yeah. pretty much airline, pretty much everything. Yeah. The Cessna, um, <laughs> except the Cessna. Uh, yeah. And the Western. You're okay, Roy. You can, you can have your phone on. <laughs> your I feel, I feel glad I asked that question. Now. <laughs> um, so it's it's never been disproved that it won't interfere with it. If you like, there's a lot of double negatives in there. Yeah. So because it, it, they can't guarantee it doesn't interfere with it. Yeah. The, the thing is, phone's on silent. Okay. So the phone's on, on airplane mode or off. Um, the other thing is, it also, we do sometimes, over our radios, you just hear that annoying... Is that me? That's you. <laughs> and that's what happens. So, great, great uh, example there, Rob. Thanks for that. I'm showing <laughs> us how it sounds. <laughs> but yeah, and, and, it, yeah. and it can, you know, they say it can interfere occasionally, particularly if you've got a hard ATC um, accent to understand. Yeah. If you get over that, it, it can. Have there been any accidents? As far as I know, there haven't. No. Um, and this is the whole thing. It When they say it hasn't been proved that it, it's, it's safe, basically, yeah. but there's nothing yet to prove that it's not safe. Is that the same with the laptops? Well, no, the laptops, laptops are slightly different because you can have an iPad out 
Um, but the, the problem with a laptop is the sheer size of it. Yeah. So if and again for takeoff and landing, you're, the chance most most likely when there's an instant or a sudden stop is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, they don't want laptops sort of flying around the three place. or four kilogram laptops flying through the cabin. So that's why laptops are asked to be put away, but you can have your phone and your tablet out. Okay. That's that can good. I can good I do idea. a few more questions? Yeah. Good, 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 good. We like so this. this. This is all here. Okay. These are things which I've always wondered. Okay. The, and Freddie asked me this. He's yeah. my ten year old son. You know the toilets, mm. when you press the button, it goes, <laughs> <laughs> why does it do that? And B, does it just chuck it out into, uh, okay. into space? Unfortunately, it doesn't just chuck it out oh. into space. Well, well, it would be lovely. Uh, we've had a social... I've always s- frightened Freddie. Yes. Said that- <laughs> You'll get sucked out. Yeah. Um, we, we've had a social responsibility with airliners, I think, for the, like, the last 50 years. So did so. it used to? Uh, I think very, a long, long time ago when right. they used to have wicker seats, yeah. for example. Back in those days, it used to just, just go overboard. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> for quite a while now, we've had tanks on board. So everything that goes up stays there until yeah. you've landed. Uh, and then it's somebody's great job to go and sit there, plug into the back of the aircraft and pump it all out. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, it, it stays in, it goes into tanks. I think most airlines have one or two, two waste tanks. Because they do sometimes get full. They do get full, yes. Yeah. Um, and then you have to shut down the loo system, which yeah. is, on a long flight, can be mm, quite yeah. uh, painful. For James, some... on uh, on military aircraft, mm. uh, what's the story there with... with I mean, I'm, there aren't necessarily comfortable loos to go and... Not in a chemical cram toilet. It's not in a fighter, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, there's, can't, um, you can't just put on... <laughs> no, I mean, I think the Hercules used to have... had a little... Sort of like a... a, a an attempt at a urinal on a wall with a curtain around it. Um, but that I don't know what. Terribly modest. But it was modest, but <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing for the ladies, which was um, <laughs> unfortunate. So the Herx had had that sort of thing, but yeah, most military have nothing at all, mm-hmm. uh, unless it's a. I know the old Shackletons derived. and things just have chemical toilets, but they were they Good were idea. airborne for about fourteen hours yeah. at a time. Yeah, right? yeah. Vulcan. And, and yeah. same Vulcan, with the Nimrod yeah. and all those things. Yeah. 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 Well, the Nimrod was airliner based, so that that had the full. Oh. Uh, what about the Lanks back in the day? Were they... I think they, they just it all just froze. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, and that also happens. Aircraft mm. coming into Heathrow have mm. dropped frozen urine well, on it's top not, of Hounslow. It's not they? necessarily urine. It's oh. just ice, because the urine doesn't leak out. What you do get occasionally is from some of the um, pipe work. You do get little leaks, which up in uh, uh, the tropopause start to f- freeze. Yeah. And then as you come a bit lower, it loses some of its adhesion and falls off. But it's not urine. You're not being hit by pee. You're being oh, hit really? by just random condensation. Yeah, that's I what they say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've completely lowered the tone for it because I wanted to ask some of those questions. We've had, we actually have had a sackload of questions. Mm-hmm. What was it? Sackload. About ten. <laughs> so a big shout out to so Bruce Nicholson, Daryl Wilbraham, uh, Mick Horsley, who's emailed us several times, uh, Christos. Bob, Mark, all Gubby. I yeah. think that was actually one of your friends taking the Mickey. Yeah. Actually, that one there. <laughs> so I'm going to do like um, just a very short one because we are. I think we may even have to do a whole special. Yeah, on I think James. we've got to. Yeah, because we've got to catch him out eventually. Exactly. Yeah. Bring the question. So I'm going to go with a more uh, a, a very quick one. Daryl yeah. Wilbraham. Uh, I think we were talking about this before in this uh, series, first series. Why is there no fixed speed for Mac One? And thanks for making a great podcast, gentlemen. Cheers, Daryl. Thanks, Daryl. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, well, Mac One is temperature related, so the colder the air, yeah. the slower the speed of sound. Okay. Um, yep. So at on an international standard day, it's about seven hundred and sixty miles an hour at sea level. As you go higher, that speed comes back and back and back yep. to about. I mean, when we f- we fly around at about point eight three eight four, which is at Minus but minus forty degrees centigrade is about um, about three hundred knots or so, something like that. So it, it's it's quite a lot slower oh, airspeed right. wise. How the air flows over the aircraft and how it affects us at those temperatures is based on the Mach number uh, right. and and the airspeed. So even though your actual speed over the ground and we, the whole the interrelation between true airspeed, indicated airspeed, and ground speed and Mach number, that that would be a a double podcast. The, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the I, I want to go back to that. my toilet question. <laughs> <laughs> I understood yeah. the answer to yeah. that. <laughs> Basically, as you get as you get higher uh, and colder, the air gets uh, less dense, so there's less air at the same speed hitting yeah, the aircraft. Um, so you have less. What what you do has less effect because the air is thinner. 
Right. What, what's the fastest you've ever been? I've been, I've been just over Mac 1 in a Hawk okay. on an air test. Intentionally? Uh, no, that one was intentionally. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Under control. Uh, <laughs> I was, I've, never, in a dive. I've never been under control. <laughs> and I was in a dive. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was a passenger, but uh, yeah. So, um, but that was a, I went to, to help out to write numbers down for an air test on the Hawk when I was down at Chivener. And um, part of it was to do a, a Mac run. Amazing. And and do you feel anything as you're going? No, there's a little bit of buffet, yeah. so you get a sort of little, little, little judders a little bit, yeah. but, and that's going through the sound barrier. But there's no no noise or anything. It's all well it's all behind you, you isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go on, mate. He's good, isn't he? He's Old good. He's he good. thinks he's good. <laughs> if you if you can catch him out, send us your questions. Yeah. Yeah. Email, social media, Twitter. We take them Facebook, yeah. however you yeah. want to send them. Especially any of his former RAF colleagues yeah. who've got some of the yeah, low some downs. Of the, on. Yeah, we, we got to actually know how little he we really is. We did knows. get a great one, actually, didn't yeah, we? About we did. We're saving uh, that up. Uh, uh, we're saving that up. Are we going to yeah. save it? Oh, we probably yeah, we're going to save it. Let's wait till later. He's done. He's done well. Yeah, good. There's nothing. Nothing I can be embarrassed about. I do it myself every day. Right. Well done, Jimbo. Thank you for that. It's Battle of Britain. 80th anniversary this year an amazing time and we've talked about the Battle of Britain for years and 80th anniversary is with us right now as we record this Jez this is your moment this is your hour for some quick facts which are going to be about as quick as a Wessex in a climb yeah well I I don't know what that means (laughs) but I do know that these are facts but they're not quick. This could probably be a podcast in the sense. So, listeners, it is a podcast. if you need to go and make, put the kettle on. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Just this bit could be a podcast. If you need to go and put the kettle on, I can wait. Come back in a second. I'll have got halfway through. Um, let's Great. start. That's and fantastic. See it. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Jess. Good. Well, on to the quiz. Okay, good. Lovely. I think that's the best way we could do it. Yeah. Let's see what happens. And if you want to tell me to shut up halfway through, I'll shut up halfway uh, through. Cool, Maybe Jess. even earlier than that. Here we go. Battle of Britain. Not so quick facts. The Battle of Britain is officially regarded as having taken place between the 10th of July and 31st of October 1940. But there is good reason to argue that, in fact, these dates, which were quite arbitrary, could be extended from May 1940 as far as May 1941. Adolf Hitler had expected the British to see. Wait, 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 wait. Can we we start again? Yeah. Is that already too long? No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's it. That's yeah. only one. That's it. <laughs> no, it's just because the microphone was pointing in the wrong direction. Sorry, oh, I'm going to leave well, that in. The microphone was pointing in the right direction, away right. from me. Right, start here again, Jez. Here's some. Here's some. Just try and talk into the mic. Okay, sorry. I just because I can't <laughs> read my notes past the. Shall we hold them over here? No, it's fine. Here we go. Here are some, as usual, not so uh, quick, quick facts about the Battle of Britain. The Battle of Britain is officially regarded as having taken place between the 10th of July and 31st of October 1940. But there is good reason to argue that, in fact, these quite arbitrary dates could be extended from May 1940 as far as May 1941. Adolf Hitler had expected the British to seek a peace settlement after Germany's defeat of France in June 1940, but Britain was determined to fight on. Therefore, Hitler ordered his armed forces to prepare for the invasion of Britain, an operation called Operation Sea Lion. But for the invasion to have any chance of success, uh, the Germans needed to first secure control of the skies over southern England and remove the threat posed by the RAF. A sustained air assault on Britain would achieve the decisive victory needed to make Sea Lion a possibility, or so the Germans thought. The Luftwaffe was, in 1940, the largest air force in the world, with many of its pilots having gained valuable experience in the Spanish Civil War. It had suffered heavy losses in the Battle of France. But by August, the three air fleets that they had would carry out the assault on Britain, and they were at full readiness. The RAF met this challenge with some of the best fighter aircraft in the world. Arguably, the two most famous fighters of all time took centre stage in the Battle of Britain, those of course being the Spitfire and the Hawker Hurricane. But we should not forget the contribution of the Bolton Paul Defiant, particularly (laughs) in its role as a night fighter. For the Germans, its main aircraft were the single-engine fighter Messerschmitt Bf 109, the twin-engine Me 110, a fighter-bomber and capable ground attack aircraft, uh, and by 1940, the rather obsolete Heinkel 111 and Dornier DO-17, uh, which were light bombers. Uh, there was the more modern and latterly capable Junkers 88 as well. In addition, there was, of course, the infamous Junkers 87, uh, the Stuka. This proved woefully inadequate against British fighters and was slowly phased out of the Battle of Britain. 
The Germans began by attacking coastal targets and British shipping operating in the English Channel. Fighter Command, made up of 10, 11, 12 and 13 groups, were organised to combat the German offensive. The Luftwaffe launched its main offensive on the 13th of August. Attacks moved inland, concentrating on airfields and communication centres. Fighter Command offered stiff resistance despite enormous pressure. During the last week of August and the first week of September in what would be the critical phase of the battle, the Germans intensified their efforts to destroy Fighter Command. Airfields, particularly those in the southeast, were significantly damaged, but most remained operational. On the 31st of August, Fighter Command suffered its worst day of the entire battle, but the Luftwaffe was overestimating the damage it was inflicting and wrongly came to the conclusion that the RAF was on its last legs. Fighter Command was bruised, but not broken. On the 7th of September, the Germans shifted the weight of their attacks away from RAF targets and onto London. This would be an error of critical importance and of course became known as the Blitz. The raids had devastating effects on London residents, but also gave Britain's defences time to recover. On the 15th of September, which also became known as Battle of Britain Day, Fighter Command repelled another massive Luftwaffe assault, inflicting severe losses that were becoming increasingly unsustainable for the Germans. Although fighting would continue for several more weeks, it had become clear that the Luftwaffe had failed to secure the air superiority needed for invasion, and Hitler indefinitely postponed Operation Sea Line. Not all of the pilots were British. Nearly 3,000 men of the RAF took part in the Battle of Britain, those who Winston Churchill called the few. Do you want to say I'm British, Roger? Do you want to say not all the RAF pilots were British? Because obviously there are quite a lot of Germans. Yes. Sorry, that's a bit Very few. I'm, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just going to say... Okay. Very few of the German pilots are British. Very few. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hardly any of them. Only another page and a half. <laughs> Nearly 3,000 men of the RAF took part in the Battle of Britain, those who Winston Churchill famously called the few. While most of the pilots were British, Fighter Command was an international force. Men came from all over the Commonwealth and occupied Europe, from New Zealand, Australia, Canada, South Africa, Rhodesia... Uh, now Zimbabwe, of course, Belgium, France and Czechoslovakia. There are even some pilots from the neutral United States and Ireland. Not to be forgotten were, of course, ground crew, including riggers, fitters, armourers and repair and maintenance engineers who looked after the aircraft. Factory workers helped keep aircraft production up. The Observer Corps tracked incoming raids. Its tens of thousands of volunteers ensured that the 1,000 observation posts were permanently manned and anti-aircraft gunners, searchlight operators and barrage balloon crews all played vital roles in Britain's defence. Meanwhile, members of the WAF served as radar operators and worked as plotters, tracking raids in the group and sector operations rooms. Besides Fighter Command, the RAF also had Coastal Command and Bomber Command at its disposal, all three wings of the service playing their part. Indeed, Bomber Command would attack German industry, carry out raids on ports where Germany was assembling its invasion fleet, and reduce the threat posed by the Luftwaffe by targeting airfields and aircraft production. RAF Coastal Command also had an important role. It carried out anti-invasion patrols, attacked shipping and carried out intelligence gathering. During the Battle of Britain, the Luftwaffe was dealt an almost lethal blow from which it never fully recovered. Although Fighter Command suffered heavy losses and was often outnumbered during the actual engagements, the British outproduced the Germans and maintained a level of aircraft production that helped them withstand their losses. And there, lads, are your longest ever quick facts. Very good. Very, I thought that was an amazing. Very interesting, though. Yeah, well really done. Good it needs more cowbell, but no. Was, um... <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I mean, there are so many things that we assumed that we knew about the Battle of Britain, like, you know, that the, the Germans had an infinite number of aircraft and air crew, but in fact, the way the RAF operated in, in moving their fleets... Yeah. Mm. and squadrons, sorry, mm. to the north of the Rotate, country. Rotating the fleets. Rotating the fleets. Yeah. Made it seem that there weren't that mm. many aircraft, and so the Germans then got this idea that actually the the RAF was being seriously depleted, when in fact it wasn't. Yeah, and I think the other thing I, I didn't realise was that the, the Germans used the Spanish Civil War as a bit of a practice for the, <laughs> uh, for the whole Europe yeah. invasion thing. Yeah. And um, the fact that their fighter pilots got invaluable experience. Yeah. Um, what were... Uh, I think that was true to start with, but as they gradually ran out of pilots, yeah. they actually were thrusting pilots mm. far more quickly into the uh, to operations than the, the British or the, or the Allies were. And I think because of um, what we'll find out a little bit from Dilip's interview, the Royal Air Force Volunteer Reserve, the training programmes that they mm. set up uh, pre-war, really came into their own. Mm. Um, 
which meant that we maybe uh, fared better than we might otherwise have done. That's a, a wonderful story. Someone said that my grandfather was responsible for downing 40 German aircraft during the Second World War. He was the worst engineer the Luftwaffe ever had. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on a slightly serious note, it's, it's interesting to compare morale because morale in the RAF, it seems, was, was pretty good. And despite what you might glean from films like the Battle of Britain film, yeah. which is a brilliant film, the Germans seem to exude this immense confidence, which mm -hmm. I, I'm sure they did. But I think morale really was shaken by the number of bombers in particular that were returning to base. And yet they were returning to base with dead crew on board, yeah. with mm -hmm. seriously injured crew. Mm -hmm. And I think seeing that time and time and time again mm -hmm. actually began to really affect the morale of of the Luftwaffe. Yeah, yeah I think that, that that's quite clear in a lot of research mm. which is coming out now. And the fact that they were being told that this was going to be a walkover and yeah. every time, you know, they were coming in bigger and bigger numbers. And one of the, the things which I took out of the interview with Dillop is like, because now we look back on it and we see, you know, the Spitfire and the Hurricane as, you know, it's like this old fashioned aircraft mm. and they're, they're beautiful things. But at, in 1940, this is the cutting edge of technology. And you yeah. imagine, and he would, he gave the, uh, the analogy of growing up in the sixties and being afraid of nuclear war being, yeah. or, you know, I literally petrified as a child mm. and it would have been exactly the same in the 40s what people were afraid of with bombing of you know uh, of what germany had done in spain mm. <clears throat> and you saw you know these waves of bombers coming that coming over but i think you know uh, the luftwaffe pilots were coming over in these waves and every time they were being met again and again yeah. by the RAF. And the Messerschmitts, the fighters who were escorting the bombers, by the time they reached the, the English coast or, or got much further inland, they were right at the end of their yeah, range yeah, if did. they were going to return They didn't home. have a lot of time to play. They had a lot no. of playtime, a lot no. of combat time, if you like. And that must have been always on the back of your mind. Yeah. When you're, you're flying, you sort of hope straight and they will drop it off and go back again. <laughs> yes. All of a sudden, yeah. you're right at the end of your endurance and you've got to now take on a squadron of, uh, yeah. of Spitfires or Hurricanes. Uh, it becomes a, a bit of a different game. Yeah. Well, no peace on the Battle of Britain would be complete without the voices of the pilots who actually took part. Sadly, the opportunity to speak to them has now passed, although as we record this podcast, it's worth marking that there is just one known remaining RAF Battle of Britain pilot, 101-year-old Irishman John Paddy Hemingway. Paddy, we salute you. But I've been very fortunate over the years to have met and interviewed some of the few, as well as a couple of Luftwaffe veterans. So here are some interviews I did at the Royal International Air Tattoo in 2000, marking the 60th anniversary of the Battle of Britain, when some 300 RAF Battle of Britain veterans were still with us. We hear from Spitfire pilot, squadron leader Gerald Stapleton DFC of 603 Squadron and Wing Commander Ken McKenzie DFC, who flew Hurricanes with 501 Squadron. But the first voice you will hear is that of Luftwaffe pilot Hans Eckhard Bob, an ME109 pilot, and he recalls a lengthy engagement with a Spitfire over the channel, and his meeting later that same evening with the very pilot that he had shot down. We are fighting 20 minutes. One Spitfire and me. It was very hard. And the last time I come behind him and give some uh, shooting. He was near the French coast and there he made a, la a landing. And I told you, I take him in our office. You know? And we speak together and then uh, we. we uh, we have been friends, like friends. We, we, we said, why we fight against another? That's not necessary. We are the, we are the, 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 the same uh, guys. A few weeks later, his own aircraft was severely damaged in a dogfight over Canterbury. With his engine overheating, he turned for home. But at 12,000 feet, he soon realized the French coast was beyond gliding range. A hurricane come from behind and shoot me in the cold system. It was not possible, it's his highness, to come over the channel. And so I have uh, uh, installed an, a new system. I, I put the engine out 
and the cooling, the oil goes cooling a little bit. Then I give a, a, a push the, the engine on and give full, full power and go on like this. And so in steps I come to, to, the, to France coast and there I make a, on, the, on the coast, I make a landing. Ken McKenzie was posted to Kenley after just 16 training flights on the Hurricane. A week later, he ran out of ammunition while chasing a damaged ME-109 over Folkestone. It looked as if the German aircraft would escape, but McKenzie wasn't giving up. Uh, and there were some glycol steaming from the engine, actually, and uh, I followed him down. And I thought, well, if I could put my undercarriage down, I could clip his tail fin off with the undercarriage. But having the undercarriage down, my speed was too low, actually. So I put the undercarriage up again and formulated on him again with my starboard wing near his port tail plane. And I thought, well, if a bit of a bang on his tail plane, which is small, and I've got a big wing, it will come off. And it did. And his port tailplane came off and he went straight in. We were about a, 80 to 100 feet off the sea and about three feet broke off the end of my starboard wingtip. But that had no effect on the flying, actually. Gerald Stapleton's Spitfire was shot down over Essex. He thought of bailing out, but decided to attempt a forced landing. I still had some control with the engine, um, although the radiator had been pierced because I could sm smell the glycol coming into the cockpit, because the first thing you do is open your hood, first thing you do. So I started to glide, and the Spitfire will glide at about a thousand feet, lost in height, covering a mile on the ground. Eventually I landed, I overshot a stubble field, the harvest had been uh, reaped, and I finished up in a hop field. I got out, got my parachute out, and walked to the lane, which was about 30 or 40 yards away, and there were people there in an Austin baby saloon, man and wife, two children, and they offered me a cup of tea, and I said, thank you very much. <laughs>we top landing gear guys live and he'd done a watercolor book of of his time in prison i mean he spent the rest of the war as a as a prisoner of war but but in very nice surroundings yeah, he said yeah. he was treated so well and i think there was a great deal of respect for raf pilots and yeah. a great deal of respect for luftwaffe pilots and um he said he'd had the most pleasant war and he showed me his watercolor book he showed me a a painting he'd done of the house he'd been a prisoner in Godalming. And it was just amazing to hear this German bomber pilot talking about, you know, towns where I'd been brought <laughs> up in that he was trying to bomb the hell out and of. And fascinating to hear the other side of the story. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it is. Because it, it's, it's, we are brought up in a very one-sided yeah. point of view, really. Yeah. I mean, um, it was... A, and I thought that's where... I thought the point that Hans Eckhard Bob, the ME-109 pilot we heard there... Meeting the guy he'd shot down, and they just have this very gentlemanly conversation. Yes. So that would be great you, exactly. that, uh, as a recording. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, wouldn't it just? What, you, what, what sense did you? Get, I mean, it was a while ago since you did this. What sense did you get of those characters? A bit like getting blood out of a stone in that they were so modest. And mm -hmm. we'll hear Dilip talk about mm -hmm. this uh, when we hear his interview as well in, in full in, in full flaps is that a lot of these guys 
just don't want to really say how big a part they played. Mm. The, the um, Ken McKenzie, the guy who lost the wingtip of his hurricane mm. ramming the, the Messerschmitt, <laughs> I mean, he said, you know, and um, I, I lost three feet of the stubble wing of my hurricane and it didn't really affect it. I've subsequently <laughs> read the report of what actually happened and it's far more dramatic than that. And he has to crash. I think he crash lands on a beach or something. I mean, he was lucky to get out alive. I mean, it was a, it was a phenomenal piece of heroism. And you hear him there. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's like a, oh, I had a little graze on my on yeah. my arm or something. And the same with 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 um, Gerald Stapleton crashing his crash landing his Spitfire in the Essex field. Far more dramatic. And there was another pilot who crashed, I think, alongside him as well. And they both left the field together. I, 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 they just are gentle, modest. They don't want to blow their own trumpet. Um, and by and large, they were also really young. Actually, that's another really yeah. valid point. I, mean, yeah. I think, you know, he one of the, the, the pilots there, he'd flown 16 times mm. in yeah. Hurricane before he was posted operationally. Yeah. yeah, that was Ken McKenzie. Um, yeah, I'd love to dig out more of those interviews. Yeah. That, and, and at the time when you're doing them, because you're sort of in a, sl- a working environment and you're being rushed through and you've yeah. got to set up the camera each time and the lights and the microphone, you're sort of not really taking it all in. Taking it all in, yes, what yeah. this really means to you to have this privilege of meeting these people who sadly now, as I say, are, are no longer no longer. Well, worse. I think that's the other thing, isn't it? Because, you know, then there were still 300, which is a comparatively yeah. 10% of, yeah. of the 3,000. Yeah. Um, and you don't think that in 20 years' time yeah. this footage will be no. priceless, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And really rare. And actually what you've done is, you know, along with other people, you've recorded some footage that, mm. you know, we can listen to and enjoy and, and be uh, amazed at. Mm. I imagine in 40 years' time, Tom Lanninger will be, you know, considered... <laughs> We'll still up, on that, up on that plinth. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're right. You're going to say that we're going to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We might still be asking for Ask James. <laughs> well, so to our special guest this week, an aviation historian who's written and continues to write extensively about the Battle of Britain. He's the historian Dilip Sarkar, MBE, who over many years has met and became friends with many of the few, as a result of which he has a unique insight into what they went through and has managed to compile an extraordinary amount of compelling first-hand accounts from the men and women who were there in 1940. A Fellow of the Royal Historical Society and awarded an MBE for services to aviation history, Dilip offers a fascinating take on a part of our history that most of us probably thought we knew enough about or accepted as fact. But Dilip might just make you think again. And as you'll hear, he's formed some pretty robust views of his own. Here's a short excerpt. Dilip, you'll be you'll be pleased. I hope you'll be pleased to know that I'm, I've just started reading your your book, Battle of Britain, nineteen forty, um, the finest hours human cost, and it's I've just got to the part where we're t- you're talking about the number of Royal Air Force volunteer reserves coming in on exactly that scheme. It's fascinating. I yeah. have no idea about that. Yeah, I, I think that for 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 me, I, I'm not just interested in. In the the combats and the bombs and the bullets, I'm interested in the whole thing. I'm interested in the social history side of this, you know, the political history side of it, uh, and what's happening in the Royal Air Force, you know, this expansion scheme and the opportunities that that the war gave ordinary people the chance to fly is phenomenal. You know, you, you look at the... The, we're talking now about the volunteer reserve. You know, the, the, you're looking at a very strictly hierarchical and delineated society. So uh, these people would never have got the chance to fly. It, it, you know, grammar school boys, if it wasn't for for the expansion scheme and the war. So the, the volunteer reserve is an amazing, you know, great initiative. In the um, the, RF, the um, Battle of Britain, as it stands, from from day one, was there ever a chance that Germany could have won it? The Germans actually achieved aerial supremacy uh, for a short mm-hmm. period in October, but it was too late then because Hitler had stood down the invasion opportunity in September. The weather had really turned. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it, it's a funny old thing, the Battle of Britain, because officially begins on the 10th of July. Why is that? Nobody knows. <laughs> because uh, the, the fighting actually started on mm-hmm. the 2nd of July, 
So in, in Battle of Britain 1940 that you're reading, Sam, you know, there, there are stories in there because it kind of fires me up that you've got 13 pilots killed between the 2nd and the 9th of July inclusive, plus others wounded, but they can't be counted amongst the few. <laughs> so that doesn't quite seem right to me. <laughs> then you've got the end date is the 31st of October. So we're all sat outside at dispersal and it's AKA Battle yeah. of Britain film time, you know, and all of a sudden the Germans are not coming. And Sam's going to go out and throw up when the telephone rings and all this, you know. <laughs> and it, it's just nonsense because it didn't happen like that. So, at the, uh, to, you know, when when should the Battle of Britain finish? Well, you could argue that September the 15th yeah. was the climax. Hitler calls off the invasion September the 17th. So any fighting from the 17th of September onwards is not being directed towards the objective of an invasion. So arguably, mm. the Battle of Britain's over by the 17th of September. But um, they, you know, the fighting continued with the, the Germans are bombing by night. I mean, German historians argue, well, there's two schools. One, one say there was never a Battle of Britain in the first place. Mm. And the other school says that the Battle of Britain didn't finish until May 1941, when the night blitz concluded and, and they, they went off and invaded Russia, you know. But for, in terms of the fighter war, September, after the climax, the Germans are very clever because Keith Park knows that these fighter sweeps that are coming in very, very high for, for, for those types of aircraft, they're coming in over 30,000 feet. And if you, unless you put a, another fighter up there to intercept them, all they're going to do is waste petrol. So just let them get on with it, you know. Uh, so the Germans then realising this, they stick fighter bombers in the formation. And on the uh, 18th of September or 20th of September, all of a sudden there's a fighter sweep coming in over London that's being ignored and bombs start exploding in central London and Piccadilly. Uh, and from that point onwards, no, no German incursion could be ignored because they never knew when these fighter bombers were going to be included. And it was at that point that all of the... The, the Spitfire pilots particularly, because they were the ones fighting up at high altitude, they remember that period of late September and October as being the most exhausting time uh, because the, the amount of high-flying, very tiring patrols they were they having to fly. And it was at that point that the, the 109 was a fantastic aeroplane. Those German fighter pilots knew their business. And um, when they, they were most effective when they were able to, to range freely, Freihunter, these free-range fighter sweeps, you know, with the, their own initiative, not be shackled to the bombers. Uh, and, and it was at that point in October when they were flying these big fighter sweeps that, that they, they did achieve ascendancy over a period of time. But it was too late. The book that Jez mentioned is Dillip's brand new book, Battle of Britain, 1940, The Finest Hours Human Cost. Uh, I'm reading it at the moment, and this is the blurb. Uh, it's a unique study exploring the individual stories of a wide selection of those who lost their lives during the finest hour, examining their all too brief lives and sharing these tragic stories, uh, which are told here in full for the first time. I'm, it's a very moving book, and it tells the Battle of Britain in a way that I've not read before, so it's it's individual stories done in a chronological order. Uh, so you get the full scope of the battle alongside the real human cost and the, the human story. Uh, it, it's brilliant. My, my tip is don't buy the Kindle. I bought the Kindle and there are loads and loads of interesting, beautiful photographs. So buy the hardcover. I'm going to buy the hardcover. Next time I get Dillipon, I'm going to get him to sign it. Uh, and also check out, he's got a new book coming out uh, very soon, Johnny Johnson's 1940 Diary in 30 November, just in time for Christmas, and Johnny Johnson's Great Adventure, which comes out at the end of October. He is a busy, busy man, so we're very lucky to have him. So that was Dilip Sarkar, MBE, who has some amazing stories to tell, some incredible views of his own as well, which is gleaned from the conversations he's had with these pilots. You'll be able to hear the full-length interview, by the way, on Full Flaps, which will drop a week after this podcast uh, has dropped as well. So do listen out for that. So should we move on to the Battle of Britain top landing gear oh, yes. podcast yes. quiz? Yes. Let's okay. Come on, come here on. Here we go. Here we go then. Um, now let's hear. Have you remembered to bring your buzzers this time, I boys? Have a yeah. Good. Okay, James. Let's hear what you got. I was got. cover two. The first one I thought might be a bit nondescript. I was going to go initially for 
Machine yeah, gun fun. That was a browning. Yeah, I'm nice. Machine gun. But I've gone from, gone for a uh, a movie clip from the, from the movie. <laughs> Throat's a bit dry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Is that your buzzer, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> yes. Carry on, James. So I've gone, but I've actually gone for a movie clip from the movie. Yeah. And it has been said of me many times. You can teach monkeys to fly better than that. <laughs> and I thought that was quite Lovely. That's yeah, very good. Brilliant. That's very good. Jez, dare I ask? Yeah, well, we'll hope this hopefully this will work. Quite a bit of research went into this. Never in the field of human oh, oh, good. was so much old. Classy. By so many. That's very classy. Well done, Jez. I Thank think you, you might much. already be in, in, in line for a bonus point just for your oh, it. For once. Well, I thought um, you did really well there, James. Well, yeah, no. Jim Park, Jim Well, I'm not saying. Anyway, yeah, uh, uh, Roy. <laughs> Sorry. Star Wars. I've just, yeah, I've just, <laughs> just taken it I from, from Jez's quick facts. Exactly. Exactly. So that's you have already is. heard that for about three hours today. <laughs> we can never hear enough of it. Unless it's overlaid by my dog. I've had a, bon- a bonus point. Who composed that music? Um, Ron Goodwin. Oh, Ron Goodwin is correct. You've just yep. looked at the. Um... Ron Goodwin. Sorry. Correct. I'm going to give you a point. What? Well, he never scores any points, yeah. Roy. He needs a head start. And when I score, then you tell me I'm cheating. Well, only if you have cheated. Now, come on, boys. Let's take this Straight in the spirit as met. Sibling rivalry it's Battle of Britain. Right? It's not about me. Battle of Britain. It's not. We've got to play this in the spirit of the Battle of Britain. Okay. 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 So the first question, gents, buzzers to the ready. Spell Messerschmitt. We've got to listen to the whole thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. Jez, yes. Uh, M- You're not e- looking there. You're looking down. What are you making at? sure it wasn't written on that page. Why did you look to make sure it's not written? You know what his eyesight's like. It's yeah. not, he yeah. can't read it from there. All right, let's December. M E double S E R S C H M I D T. Incorrect. The cracking effort. Anyone else want to have a go? <laughs> yes, James. M E. <laughs> He's got to spell the whole thing. Well, that's what it's known as the M E. Is it? You know it is. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, no, you want more, do you? Well, the, yeah. <laughs> all the way through to the final letter. Double S. Yep. E R. Yep. S C H. Yes. M. Yep. I. Yep. T. T. Oh. <laughs> oh, is that a, that is that a double T at the end? Yeah. Correct. Oh. Well done, Jimbo. It's always James. Well done. Excellent. Jez, great effort. Shame about the D instead of the T. Yeah, yeah I don't know what I was thinking. Bit of the DTs. Uh, so James um, and Roy have one each, because yeah. Roy's little bonus before yeah. the quiz had even okay. got going. Jez, you've got plenty of time to catch up. <laughs> Both the RAF and Fleet Air Arm were still operating biplane fighters during the Battle of Britain. What were they? You can teach. Oh. I thought James might come in with this one. Yeah. Yes, Jimbo. Swordfish Sorry. is incorrect. Oh. It's only one aircraft type. Gloucester uh, yes, Gladiator. Roy. It is the Gloucester Gladiator. Hey. Well done. Yeah, number two four seven squadron at um, RAF Roxburgh in Devon. They Could you them. imagine that? I know. Like you're a pilot in the Battle of Britain. <laughs> Oh, is it going to be a Spitfire? Oh, 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 be a what the hell is that? It's You've back, got to be it's kidding back me. to 1918. <laughs> now, now you know what my posting to the Wessex felt like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Well done. Well, we're doing well. We've, we've had some answers here, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Question number three. Mm-hmm. On the 14th of July, 1940... What was the BBC's slightly controversial contribution to the Battle of Britain? Oh, hello, Roy. Is this where they had the running commentary of the dogfight? Absolutely yes. spot on, Roy. That's it's, brilliant. It's on YouTube and it's, it is it's It is stunning. on YouTube. Yeah. 
It, it's worth listening to. Can, can you remember the name of the reporter? I no can't, reason why. It no. was Charles Gardner. Yeah. And he was watching from a vantage point on, on the White Cliffs of Dover. He had his BBC record, radio recording car there. And he, you, you, you must listen to it. Um, I'll put it's the just, links just, up. Yeah, put the links up, media, as we yeah. always promise we yeah. do and never yeah. do. But it's easy to find. Charles Gardner. And he was uh, at one point got really excited, talk, commentating about a German. A German, he's been shot down. He's going down in flames. One man's parachuted out. He's hit the water. And in fact, it wasn't a German plane. It was a Hawker Hurricane that shot down. And the poor pilot who bailed out eventually died in, in Dover Hospital. So um, Gardner wasn't particularly <laughs> well. Well, that wasn't particularly well received um, in parts of the British public. But he actually then went on to join the RF. In fact, after that, and then returned to the BBC as an air correspondent. Roy, well yeah, done. Well. You're in the lead. <coughs> Three to well, Roy. Job, James Roy. had won. <laughs> Jez, yes, yeah, no, yet to school. Yet to school. Film question. Mm-hmm. The first British post-war film about the Battle of Britain was Angels 1-5, made in 1952, starring John Gregson as pilot officer Septic. Do you remember him? Septic Baird. But what does the phrase Angels 1-5 mean? Yes, Jimbo. It's at altitude and it means 15,000 feet. What at 15,000 feet? Uh, Enemy at 15,000 feet. Correct. Absolutely right. Well done. Mm. So... Jez, yet to score. A few more questions to come. You've got plenty of time. In the film The Battle of Britain, Hurricanes played the part of Hurricanes, Spitfires played the part of Spitfires, but what aircraft did the producers use to represent the Luftwaffe's Heinkel bombers and their ME-109 fighter escorts? You won't have to get both. You can answer just one or other. Either the ME-109 or the Heinkel 111s. They looked the part and they virtually were. They were from the, the Spanish. They were from the Spanish from the Air Force, Air you're Force, quite yeah. right. Yeah. They, they were given to the film. Yeah. They didn't yeah. even charge the filmmakers for the use. I have masses of them, 32 of these uh, Heinkel lookalikes. <coughs> Sick of this now. Okay. I'm, I'm a matador because it's Spanish. No, Matador, what a lovely answer. I'm tempted to give you a little bonus for an attempt, but no, of course not. It's nowhere near. It's rubbish. Point away. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else want to have a go? I'm surprised, uh, actually, that Jimbo hasn't got no. this. The 109 counterpart is spoken of often. Let's say perhaps the 111. The it's a Focke-Wolf, isn't it? Not a Focke-Wolf, no. Okay. no. Is it even a German aircraft? Well, that's built under licence by the Spanish, but they were... The they were the ME one hundred and nine built under license by the Spanish. I think I'm going to have to tell you guys, the the one hundred and nines were Hispano Aviation Bouchons, the old Bouchon, which that's, had uh, the that's French from Matador, <laughs> <laughs> and they were fitted with Rolls Royce Merlin, so the nose never looked right. It didn't have the Daimler Benz engine, so all the ones in the Battle of Britain film are Bouchons. And the um, the Heinkel 111 was a Kassa 2 111, uh, but it was almost identical to the, the Heinkels that the Luftwaffe had. Um, OK, moving on then, let's ask you, um, let's ask a Spitfire question, shall we here? <clears throat> the Spitfire continued to serve in the RAF, as we know, well into the 1950s. In fact, <clears throat> you'll remember that its final RAF sorties took place in 1954 during... The Malaya emergency. Malaya. Well done. Well done. Well done. Quite right. Good. You're learning. Um, a little. This isn't the question, but I'll give you the option of a bonus point. What was the name of that aerial support campaign during the emergency that the Spitfires flew in? Come on, Jez. I showed you the book of I this know. at home the other day. <laughs> did that's an unfair. Made advantage. a mention. You'll never get it. Though. His memory's worse than mine. The... It's not coming, is it? I think we're losing listeners. Okay, yeah, I think this has gone. It was Operation Fire Dog. The question is, the production of the Hurricane ceased in 1944, but when and where was it retired from RAF service? I'll give you a clue, it wasn't Malaya. I mean, technically it's still in RAF service in the BBMF, so... Well, with a break. I think LF-363 went back to Hawkers briefly... Mm -hmm. And then went back to the RF, but you could almost argue that. Oh. Go on, Jess. Well, I say Dunsfold. That's not a date, is it? Um, Was it when or where? Did you not say when? No. Yeah, when and where? It was in operational service, so 
yeah, the last hurricane did fly out of Dunsfold. I'm going to give you a point for that because you're struggling, oh. but it's not the answer. <laughs> uh, I think it's something you either know or don't know. It yeah. actually finished an RAF service <laughs> in 1947 on the 15th of January, replaced by Hawker Tempests in Nicosia in Cyprus. Okay, oh, that's a tough one. It's Cyprus, a really tough one. Yeah. Tough, right? one well, final question. With 21 kills to his name, the RAF's leading ace in the Battle of Britain was Spitfire pilot Flight Lieutenant Eric Locke of 41 Squadron. But who was the highest scoring non-British allied ace in the Battle of Britain? And name that member of the few. Well, Jez. before I name him, oh, Here we go. I'm going to say I think he, he was Czech. You're absolutely right. Oh, he was from 303 thing. Squadron. Well done, which was a Polish squadron, but he yeah. chose to fly with the Poles rather than the Czechs. He liked the way they flew. And that's as much as I can tell you because I cannot remember his name. <laughs> well, it's a difficult name. Uh, you, you've described him perfectly. He was Josef. Josef. Frantisek. That's what I was yes. going to say. Absolutely. I thought right. it was an Irish chap. No, no. Uh, he had 17 confirmed kills, all within a four-week period uh, during September, and, and then he kind of he crashed in slightly mysterious... Circumstances, but the the hurricane that is with the historic aircraft flight, whatever they called now, the who, who have no, but who have the Duxford. Duxford yep. Their hurricane is now painted in his colours, oh. in Josef Frantisek's colours. So, Jez, well done. You get you do get a point for that. We've come to the end of what's been a very competitive quiz. There's yes. been plenty of answers. You've all done very well. Jez has finished up with two points, scraped through. Better than zero. James. Two points, but our winner, and I think oh, this is wow. the first. Oh. What a way to start <laughs> series two. I'm... Our champion with three wow. points, Roy Stride. Well, Roy well, Stride. Well done, I'll mate. Better than a Brit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Nominated four times. Yeah. Did not, Didn't win one. Didn't get on, no. Not no, bitter. Still not, still not, not bitter. No. It'll come. There's a Hall of Fame thing, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we could do a sort of 50th anniversary thing, couldn't we, for scouting quite soon? Of the founding of it, obviously. Yeah. I thought that's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Boys, well done. It's great to be back. It's yes. great to be back. I just hope our listener thinks the same. We'll ask him or her. Yeah. Yeah. Never like he can write in or she can write <laughs> in. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you, boys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember, you can still listen to all our podcasts from Series 1 and their full flaps. Uh, extended interviews. Uh, would you like me to go through the list? Yeah, go on. Okay, I, I, all right. Just this once. All right, yeah. just this once. Yeah. So we've got one chance to see. <laughs> yeah. Concord just... Captain John Hutchinson. That was brilliant. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Former RAF Red Arrows Synchro Pair Leader, friend of James's, Squadron Leader Dave Thomas. Loved that. He was brilliant. Yeah. Biz, Jim Schofield on the Spitfire. He was, he was awesome. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Took you for a flight, Neil. Spit in the jet. Yeah. Adventure pilot. Love that description. Amanda yeah. J. Harrison on following in the footsteps of Amy Johnson. That she was, was brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. Inspiring. 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 If you haven't yeah, listened to that, listen We that. loved her. George Smokey Bacon on the British Legend. Air Show scene. What would you say about George, eh? He was Legend. brilliant. He was wasn't really it? Good. Wasn't he? That's a good word. It comes. I, 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 do you know? I did. Uh, I did a live virtual ah. gig with him last week for Bournemouth Air Show. Beautiful. Which was, yeah, was that it fun? Was, it, was, it was a bit weird, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was great to see George. Yeah. You know, yeah. he was doing a gig to a TV screen again. Oh, but uh, I, you know, fair play to George and everybody who's put on air shows and virtual yeah. air shows this yeah. year. I think you know they've done really well, and we're I'm looking forward just... to some proper air shows coming up. Yeah, we have absolutely. And, of course, our final programme of Series 1 featured the legendary Flight Lieutenant Alan Pollock and his audacious flight through London's Tower Bridge in his Hawker Hunter jet fighter. Wasn't that an honour and a privilege honor. to meet him? Privilege. You're lucky yeah. you, you too. Well, yeah. we were free that day, mm. which was just brilliant. <laughs> so we were able to interview him. And Roy and I have now ordered and been presented with our prints that the PRINTS that uh, Michael Rondo did of that of that escapade yep. and we're going to get Alan to sign them for us aren't we we are indeed they're beautiful no. things of beauty um, and coming up in future episodes of Top Landing Gear we've got a lot to look forward to we'll be paying tribute to the Queen of the Skies the Boeing 747 Jumbo Jet and also to the beautiful VC-10 we'll be talking to Roland White author of Harrier 809 all about Harrier operations in the Falklands and we'll also be reporting from Bomber County 
and the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre at East Kirkby with their Lancaster and Mosquito, Petwood Hotel, home of the Dambusters, and RAF Coningsby, of course, base of the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight and the Typhoon Squadrons. Um, we also have a winner of the 1969 Daily Mail transatlantic air race so much more we want to do as well and do let us know if there's anything or anyone you'd like us to feature we'll try and make it happen but the diary is getting very full isn't it boys i'm it so excited, so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Got tons it's really of stuff yeah. yeah it's going to be great it's going to be great so remember you can get in touch with us on twitter facebook and instagram uh, at top landing gear uh, do email us with your questions for our expert james Carter. keep those coming it's been quite successful this time mm. <laughs> that's info at toplandinggear.com that's toplandinggear with two g's and however you're listening to us, please do leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. And don't forget to listen for Dilip Sarkar's extended interview on Full Flaps. In the meantime, thanks for listening and bye for now. That's a wonderful story someone said. That my grandfather was responsible for downing 40 German aircraft during the Second World War. He was the worst engineer the Luftwaffe ever had. <laughs> <laughs>